Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. We are the guys, the embarrassed guys in question. Yeah, episode 300 is what we're here to do today. Ben, just last week, it was our four-year anniversary of starting the show. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. It's now episode 300 for some reason. Where does the time go? I don't know. I was having a conversation with my wife the other night, and she she was uh, asking, what are you guys going to do when you run out of episodes of Star Trek? And I just like burst out laughing that my dumb life had led to a situation where my wife, who basically could not care less about Star Trek, is worried about the number of episodes that exist in the universe. <laughs> That's weird. My wife doesn't even ask me about what I do or how much of it is left. So, <laughs> at, at least she takes an interest. One one great thing about being three hundred episodes in is that there is a good overall number of episodes for people to uh, base a rating on. Mm. And, if, and we encourage people that think that this is a five-star operation to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. And if they've got a question, uh, we try to answer questions that uh, people leave in reviews when, uh, when, uh, you know, when, they, when they do it. So uh, do you want to answer, feel a couple of questions that people asked here on the episode today, Adam? It's good to use occasions like an anniversary to do some real deep dive into how things are going. And and asking questions is a great way to do that, right? It's what we do yeah. on our anniversaries in our personal yeah. lives, right? Right. Do some checking in. What do you think? I hate this. I love it. It is revolting. More? Please. Uh, here's a question uh, to kick this off. What is a good premise for a new Star Trek show slash movie? Huh. Uh, is this coming from a CBS email address? Or, or rating account? <laughs> the spreadsheet either strips that information out or uh, intentionally obscures it. Hmm. So uh, Probably smart. Yeah. Let's see. A good premise for a show or movie. Uh, I, I'm ready for the Star Trek Laris show. Sneaky fuckers. Uh, after only two episodes of watching Picard, I'm riding with her. Yeah. Get Shaban out of here, but Laris you want to see more of? I mean, if it's a package deal and Shaban has to come with, I'm, I'm totally down. But uh, the <laughs> two of them are a real delight, so uh, that's that's what I would propose. Uh, spin-offs on top of spin-offs. Why not? I like it. I think that the, the Star Trek movie is a, a particular challenge, mm-hmm. and they have often gone the direction of action movie to figure out how to put a Star Trek story into a two-hour-plus package, and... Uh, you know, I'm, I I love action movies, but I'd I'd love to see a little bit more variety there. So I'm going to propose Star Trek Road movie, like like maybe two two or four characters in a shuttlecraft 
heading across the Alpha Quadrant. You know, maybe an Earth to Vulcan, like Harold and Kumar go to the Katra Temple on Vulcan kind of kind of story. A Lampoon-style vacation film where they're yeah. heading to Risa, except Risa's closed when they get there. Like, the advantage of a road movie is that you can kind of just... You just put a bunch of set pieces in the middle of it like right. you you have a, a beginning and an end and then you can just have some little skits in between yeah and you can cut them if they don't work and it doesn't really matter but also it gives you a sense of geography and i would love to have a movie that really like illuminates some of the spatial relationships between things i think that'd be all right and i think that's in keeping with the whole star trek is a place thing we're putting yeah. a genre film on top of that place be a lot of fun. I think it would be cool. Uh, Adam, we have another question here. Longtime viewer, first time reviewer. As of today, I am finally caught up on all the episodes and truly feel like a true friend of DeSoto. Mm. My one question is, what do I do with my life now? I have to wait a whole week till the next episode? I'm already going through withdrawals. Congratulations, first of all, for making it through. It's a big accomplishment. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a lot of us buzzing in your ears. Uh, I'm going to yeah. recommend also adding to your pod feed uh, the, the hit show Friendly Fire. <laughs> yeah. It's our war movie podcast we do with John Roderick. Why not get that in the yeah. mix? That that gives you a second episode every week. Uh, and that's not even counting The Greatest Discovery, which would give you three. What I'm proposing is a way to make you hate us. Mm-hmm. You know, like in Seven, the, the, the deadly sin of overeating. <laughs> That's where that sin comes from. The movie Seven. I'm encouraging a, a Seven-style overconsumption of all of our programming and uh, and see if that doesn't satiate you. Yeah, we do also hear from people that just go back to the beginning when they're done listening to all episodes of Greatest Gen, and that's also another path to the same goal. <laughs> Someone on Twitter sent me a message that I've been thinking about a lot, and it was one of those messages that I instinctually just wanted to destroy the person over (laughs) but instead I just let it simmer in the back of my head for a while and it went something like I went back and I listened to your first episode and wow do you ever think about just re-recording that (laughs) because boy and Twitter's not a place for nuance and I think uh, I think by giving myself time to consider this I was able to like not be so upset at the person who made that comment but the reply that I didn't write to this person I might as well just say to everyone who may be inclined to go back to our first episodes and that is like yeah I think I've had ideas for lots of creative outlets that I've never seen through in any way because I wasn't sure they would be perfect from the start and that makes me sad And I think a lot of people who have creative interests are maybe stifled by themselves and that very same feeling. And so initially I thought, boy, it wouldn't it be great to re-record that thing and maybe re-record all of the first season, you know, giving it the spit polish that we've given episodes in the years that followed. But no, now that I think about it, I I feel like that represents this whole idea. If, if someone listens to our first show and and hears how it may be rougher than the ones that we do now, I, th- I think uh-huh. all that does is maybe inspire someone to do their own show, knowing that even a show 
as great as ours, <laughs> Ben. It started as, as dumb as, yeah, as that. Like, like our show is is one of the best shows, clearly. But but look at where it, mm. look at where it began. I have a slightly different opinion about this than you, which is that we were really bad at podcasting when we started, and we have not gotten any better at it. Mm. So if, uh, if that first episode doesn't work for you, uh, episode 300 certainly will not either. Yeah, well... Way to continue <laughs> your marketing efforts, Ben. It's appreciated. I have uh, another question here. That this this looks like one that I, I'm not quite sure if I understand the terminology, but maybe you will. The question is: Is Joe Flacco an elite QB? Is that a football question? It is, and he's not. <laughs> okay, who does Joe Flacco play for? Joe Flacco was a quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens for a while uh, before being uh, signed by the Denver Broncos, and he was not elite on either team. Uh, we have another question here. Um, this is uh, its actually two questions in one, uh, but uh, I think we can let it pass the, the goal post. Who made net access? Question mark. Channel 90? Question mark. <laughs> I think we all know the answer to that question. I'm Chris Brenner. Brenner Information Systems. You know, interface, operations, net access, channel 90. That Chris Brenner. <laughs> it's nice to hear that drop again. Yeah. yeah, our review system qualifies as both a Q&A and just a jukebox for drops. <laughs> This, uh, this next question. Hey, Ben and Adam, are Mount Nuckmore and Mount Armis still standing? Will we get to hear about more Fs being added to it? XOXO heart emoji. I feel like the construction of those mountains really happened after we did the entire series of TNG. I think we noted episodes that may have belonged there as we went along throughout the seasons of TNG a little better than we've done on Deep Space Nine. I think maybe the reason for that is, I mean, a lot of people say Deep Space Nine gets better and better and better as it goes, and maybe we're just reaching that right. point where the episodes are, are mountain worthy. We did like that wrap-up episode at the end of TNG where we picked our mountain episodes from each season, right? And then and then we narrowed it down to yeah, like the yeah. favorite four, which was like kind of an unscientific way of doing it because it meant that you couldn't have two episodes from season five on your mountain or whatever. I think those rules would kind of cripple any attempt to do that for DS9 because I, I feel like the quality is kind of bunched. Right. Um, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I, I I think we'll probably do an episode like that again, but we may we may tweak the rules. Yeah. But I think that uh, each each series probably gets its own Armis and Nuckmore, right? The rules are ours to make and break. Okay. Uh, you want to do like two more and then call it a sure. day? This is fun. Okay. Can you guys tell Jesse Thorne a 2JZ is a type of Toyota high-powered engine favored by younger car guys? I think you listen to JJ Go, and I don't want to tweet at JD Power. Mm. <laughs> well, uh, well, you're real-life hangout friends with Jesse, Ben, so I would, I would trust you to pass along that message. Yeah, I, uh, J- Jesse and I are, uh, are take a picture of a van and text it to each other, friends. Mm. And um, I, I imagine that this person, of course, on the hit podcast, Jordan, Jesse, Go, they ask any, uh, any nerdy, pedantic corrections be sent to J.D. Power and Associates on Twitter. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, our policy on this show is to send it to Jordan and Jesse, right? Yeah. If, if there's anything wrong with our That's show. That's right. Uh, they even have a phone number for that, uh, which we used to give out quite a bit. Yeah. So I, I would I would say if uh, if if uh, people out there are lis- are listening and hear this correction. On behalf of this kind person who left us a five-star review, could you please correct uh, Jordan and Jesse on this 2JZ issue? Mm. Here's a long one. Do you really hate all sandwiches everywhere? I just can't understand this, given the variety of sandwiches out there and your general open-mindedness when it comes to good food. If it's a complaint about the average sandwich, sure, the average one is subpar. But if it's just every sandwich, you can consider a hamburger a sandwich and scorn it? Here's my, here's my sandwich stance. I'm going to try and clear this up once and for all. The, the issue is of average the average sandwich, and specifically what people mean when they say, we're getting sandwiches for lunch. Because we're getting sandwiches for lunch means there's going to be a bunch of pre-made, shitty like Kaiser rolls and bad focaccia that have been sitting there for three hours on a table somewhere in a meeting room. And I hate that food. I hate that food with a passion. The passion of a thousand sons. And I think it is what what most sandwich people are defaulting to when they're when they say sandwich. Like the point of I don't like sandwiches is that is not that I don't like lobster rolls or that I don't like hamburgers. It's that when people say we're getting sandwiches, they never mean lobster rolls or hamburgers. They always mean a bad thing. And there is my complaint. That was as practiced as the Jake or Picard <laughs> commentary about uh, working to better ourselves and each other when questioned yeah. about the absence of currency in Star Trek. <laughs> This is actually a fight that your wife picks with me basically every time I see her. So <laughs> I've, I've gotten pretty good at defending my position. You're someone who fought the sandwich wars in, in corporate offices and in, in production environments for years. That's enough to scar anyone. Like a moment that I look back on with genuine shame in my career is we had a two-day shoot where we were... Uh, shooting some some scenes for uh, my documentary that I'm working on. And my producer uh, just like was handling lunch and I came into the lunchroom uh, on our break and discovered that kind of sandwich uh, arrayed for everyone. And I like took him aside and I was like, dude, you, <laughs> I have a reputation here. You cannot get this kind of sandwich tomorrow. <laughs> wow. So we got tacos the next day and everybody was a lot happier. That's a nice swap. That's a definite upgrade. Right? Yeah. And that producer never worked again. And <laughs> now he's very successful. I love that guy. Um, well, Adam, that, uh, that uh, I think is probably enough questions for this very long Marin. Do you want to get into the final episode of season five, episode 26, Call to Arms? Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> No, of course you don't. It feels like it's already begun, now that we're on the other side of that job. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're, you're in charge. You're the captain now. <laughs> if you thought that this episode was going to begin seriously, uh, I'm here to tell you that it's not. It feels like most of my friends got married long ago, and so the concerns of people who are engaged especially the concerns of those on the show who are engaged, it, uh, it seemed trivial to me. Yeah. 
I, I have friends now on uh, uh, getting ready for second marriages. Yeah. So, so this is, uh, you know, like we're, we're entering this phase of second life. Second marriage, one of the great marriages anyone can have. It's the type of marriage where you really pull out all the stops and maybe even show up in Rizian traditional wedding garb. Yeah, and this is the core of the conflict between Lita and Ram. It's weird. Like, Ram, up until now, was totally into having a hardcore Bajoran themed wedding and now is it has swung back the other way pendulum like right. into into having a ferengi wedding that includes the nudity that one would expect yeah he's looking for the gray area between ferengi and bajoran customs and <laughs> that doesn't exist he's looking for a, a decolletage between two ways of doing a wedding yeah on the one hanging pendulum there is a there's fully nude Ferengi wedding. I am not going to be naked at my wedding. And on the other, there's tasteful Bajoran wedding. Who said anything about naked? Uh, this drawing of uh, Rizian traditional wedding attire looks like something that would get you suspension for drawing in your notebook in high school. And that it is the first shot of the episode was breathtaking to me. <laughs> it's fucking bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Lita does not have time for this bullshit, but the problem is they've looked at a lot of dresses. 153 potential wedding dresses have been considered and rejected. Lita does not say yes to the dress. No, she does not. And that prompts Zial to suggest that she just have Garrick uh, make her something himself. Come up with an original Garrick dress. Zial's back on the scene. Feels like it's been quite a while yeah. since we've seen her, and it looks like uh, she's grown close with Garrick. Close indeed. Um, she's uh, really riding for him and uh, and kind of making the case that he is great at this to the extent that they could just let him go off and design a dress and he'll come back with something that is perfect. I find your blind adoration both flattering and disturbing. Like, what about somebody that has rejected 153 dresses? would make her believe that she would be willing to, to say yes to one that she's never seen before. It's a good thing Garrick still isn't on racism drugs. Otherwise, uh, the sort of dress that he'd make for Lita would be pretty fucked up, right? Yeah. I wonder what ever happened with that inquest. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it seems, seems to have come and gone, and Garrick is just fine. Yeah. Uh, so they uh, they spot Cisco and O'Brien walking around on the promenade, and Lita and Rom uh, have a big question for him, so they're going to run up and ask him. But uh, it's not before we get a little snippet of the conversation between Cisco and O'Brien, which uh, serves to write Keiko off the show for the foreseeable future, which I felt like was gilding the lily a bit. Hmm. Keiko's barely been on the show at all, so writing her off intentionally again just feels like a salt-in-the-wound situation. It's such an interesting decision because this is a show that committed so much to that character early on, and yeah. they just kind of quit on her. I wish I knew how to quit her. The one thing Lita and Ram can agree about is that they want Cisco to perform their marriage ceremony. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, Cisco has a rep as a as a guy that can really perform. It's the one thing captains do. It's like their main job is performing weddings. Yeah. Do you think like technically they have to go out on the ship, out on the out on the little D for him to have that authority, or does he just have the authority as station commander? I think it's the second one. You think well. you think Worf would agree to? to have all these weddings take place on the ship that he's staying on? 
I think that'd be really irritating for him. They're like, hey, can you turn Melota down? We're like trying to do like a, a Bajoran ceremony here right now. Yeah, that'd be a nightmare for him. Cisco and O'Brien go over to one of the windows just in time to catch the space butthole taking a great big dump. Uh, ticks have been flying through this thing five times in the last five weeks, uh, they say. The Jem'Hadar are really accelerating their their rearming of Cardassia. It's like clockwork. Like everyone is assembled around the windows expecting it to happen, and it does. The ticks always run on time, Ben. Yeah. That's the fifth convoy headed for Cardassia in the last five weeks. Is there any race the Cardassians won't get with for their survival? (laughs) (laughs) They're real survival sluts. Yeah. Not to slut shame the Cardassian. I think sluts are awesome. Jake and his dad have dinner a little later, and they're discussing Jake's job as a correspondent for the Starfleet News Service. Yeah. I guess this shouldn't have been a surprise. Jake's been interested in writing and in journalism for quite a while. But uh, the argument between them has to do with Jake's access to his father and really what may or may not be on or off the record. Yeah, this is not the thing to blindside your pop with. Not at all. And I'm just going to come right out and say this is a very bad Jake episode. This is the first instance of, come on, Jake, what are you doing? Yeah, the stars and stripes of Starfleet maybe didn't hire somebody with the greatest judgment. Yeah. (laughs) In Jake Sisko? Yeah, they're they're choosing access over quality, for sure. Yeah. It's too bad. Ethically, he's a little bit shaky. Yeah, and if you have a sincere interest in journalism, like we're supposed to believe that Jake does, uh, even a little bit of knowledge about journalistic ethics would be assumed here. But there are none. I took a journalistic ethics class in college as like a, a gen ed during a summer session, and... Like, I wasn't trying to be in journalism school, but there were a lot of people that were there because they wanted to be, like, on-camera, like, local news journalists. Oh, cool. A lot of great haircuts in that class. Yeah, like like people who came to class camera-ready because they just live their lives camera-ready. Oh. And are, are like, you know, want to go, like be wearing the North Face parka in a hurricane while they report on the the hurricane kind of people. And uh, their ability to grapple with the, like, Potter Box model of of ethical inquiry was disturbingly limited. (laughs) How popular were you in that class as guy who looks like he should be driving the news van? I will say that of all the classes I took in college, that's probably the one in which I was least popular. God, that's a that's a hell of a list, I bet. Whoa! Dax and Kira are inspecting the cargo bay. We're we're getting a lot of like around the horn style scenes here in the early going. Uh, there are, there is pallet upon pallet of yamak sauce in there, and the reason is because Quark is stockpiling ahead of what he believes to be uh, another occupation. Yeah, but this is that they're saying that this was smuggled in, which it seems. Is there something wrong with yamak sauce that you would need to smuggle it? Is yamak sauce actually illegal in the Bajoran sphere of influence? Yeah, that much is unclear. I don't know. It'd be like if uh, if part of the Muslim ban was that they like made sure that hummus was taken off the shelves in grocery stores or something. Mm. It's like, wow, this is both unethical and super dumb. 
it's not valuable enough to do anything besides dump it, which is what Odo is going to do. Like, I guess just blow it out the airlock. That's a lot of yamak sauce. And it's a very brief interaction between Odo and Kira, and it's not exactly comfortable. And this is something that Dax observes and asks Kira about. You've been avoiding each other for weeks. Oh, it's a long story. Am I nuts in thinking that it's crazy that Dax didn't know that Odo sweats Kira? Dax is one of those characters that's written to be either very wise or conveniently dumb, depending on the circumstance. Yeah, and like you wonder if she's playing dumb in this scene even. Like, is she uh, acting aloof and like she didn't notice Odo's feelings in order to like draw extra information out of Kira? Yeah, potentially. I mean, you want to believe that, that someone who's hundreds of years old could be that sophisticated i mean i'm i'm dumb about lots of things you know especially social things like (laughs) my wife is always like explaining to me how to behave around other people i've noticed you almost constantly playing dumb in social situations in order to to get information right i wonder if i had hundreds of years of practice to to perfect that if i would be as good at it as dax uh i'll check back in with you after a hundred years to see if you've gotten any better (laughs) No, man. If, when I go down, my, I'm taking my ankylosaur with me. In Cisco's office, Nog brings him a piping hot mug of Ratcagino. He's asking about some shit that he heard about in the bar. Yeah, it's a piping hot mug of Ratcagino with a piping hot cup of tea. That's right, yeah. <laughs> that Nog is spilling about the Romulans. Romulan signed a non-aggression pact with the Dominion. And it's one of those fun sequences where we cut right from Cisco going, they what? To the wardroom <laughs> where about six more people go, they what? The McLaughlin group from hell is the meeting of the senior staff where they realize that basically anybody not the Federation and the Klingons in the Alpha Quadrant seems to have either aligned themselves with the Dominion or taken an affirmative neutral stance on what happens between the Dominion and Starfleet. This is an incredibly long, cold open, and part of the reason is because we basically recap everything that's led up to this moment in this scene. Yeah. What Cisco does is drop this strategy bomb in the middle of the table. He's like, look, the plan is going to be to mine the entrance to the wormhole. Mines! It's the sort of plan that Cisco drops to the team, and then it's up to the team to figure out. And that's the next scene. It's Dax and O'Brien and Rom discussing how to implement this plan. What kinds of mines, how they will disperse, how they will be used, if they have enough. There's a lot of questions about how to implement this plan, and Rom isn't 100% committed to the ideas conversation. He's very distracted with his wedding and the temperature of his own feet. What if this is the biggest mistake of my life? What if rum? This is one of those like letting your personal life compromise a really important career moment Mm -hmm. kinds of scenes because I don't think that uh, even half a season ago Rom would get invited to this meeting. Right. But but he's here. He's, he's, uh, He's in the room where it happens and he has totally up in his head about the wedding and kind of like thinking along two tracks at the same time he's like ranting about mines and the wedding like back and forth without without breaking stride 
in a way that I thought was really fun. It's a sign of great intelligence to hold competing ideas in your head at the same time. That's what he's doing. Well, he's got a great big dome. Yeah, yeah. He better be intelligent with a melon like that. The self-replicating mind's strategy is Rom's idea, and this is something that Dax and O'Brien agree to right away. It seems like a great idea. These are going to be cloaked self-replicating minds, and they're going to lay them out in front of the wormhole. The problem is that there's got to be a lot of them so that they, you know, there's enough to destroy ships at a at, the, at a rate that they come through the wormhole, which, as we've seen, is like kind of a shitload at a time. Right. At Ops, Cisco tells Kira and Worf that reinforcements aren't coming from Starfleet, so stop asking about them. <laughs> Yeah, and it's a, it's one of those like very television writer excuses, right? Like they're doing something else. Yeah. You'll find out about it at the end of the episode. Cisco is basically turning to camera and saying Starfleet doesn't have the resources to give us yeah. all of the ships we need to tell this story. I mean, fight this war. Right. The resources that Starfleet has are always a squishy amount. And uh, in all Star Trek everywhere, it's always uh, the story wags the resources dog. We got to use the entire Deep Space Nine buffalo here, Ben. We're going to use the little D to lay these mines. Yeah. No one else is coming to do it. We got to do it ourselves. But the little D won't be able to cloak or raise shields while it's doing it. So it'll be a sitting D (laughs) until the minefield is laid. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) Kira sees Odo in the security office a little later, and they're uh, they're talking about just what the hell Odo does every day. It's a real office space type line of questioning. What would you say you do here? I wish people would stop asking me what I do all day. You want me to spend all day watching Garrick? Do you know how boring that is? All he does is put different wedding dresses on mannequins and show them to Lita. She doesn't like them. Here's an idea, Garrick. Make me the wedding dress. <laughs> I can be anything at any time. And frankly, I need practice flowing over a Bajoran woman's body. I'm not sure if there's enough goo for me to cover all of Lita. It may be <laughs> as revealing as Rom wants. <laughs> this could actually benefit him a great deal. <laughs> Odo asking Kira on a date feels like a bigger crisis than the looming war so he like he 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 puts it out there as like a i was gonna do this but this is worse than war so i'm not going to do it it also gets himself off of the social risk hook that you're on anytime you quote unquote make a move that where you don't know what the consequence will be they're very much in the i don't want to ruin our friendship if this relationship doesn't work out uh, headspace and just letting the air out of the balloon by saying, hey, listen, I really want to ask you out, but I am not going to given the present situation is good. But man, the way he unloads that, like he's uh, telling her about his cancer diagnosis or something, really, <laughs> really makes it seem like he assumes ahead of time it will be a real drag for her if he if he asks her on a date. Her very positive reaction to tabling the issue until after the war is that sign that she's telegraphing. I don't see how Odo can see this as a win at all. It's like if you go to school and you don't want to take the big test and someone calls in a bomb threat or pulls a fire alarm, like (laughs) this is not a solution to the problem. 
Kira yeah. is actually preferring to die in a war than than being asked out by Odo right here and now. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of different crises happening right now, Adam. Yeah. The mines are uh, are beginning to be deployed and Wayun notices. He notices right away yeah. and it it triggers his visit to Captain Cisco. I I really liked seeing this minefield getting laid. Uh, I thought that looked pretty rad. And then we get that cut to the super tick docked at the station, and that looks really rad. This is an episode that's really like pulling out the stops. No bottle will will stop this episode. This is a significant moment in the episode and in the conflict because there's an ultimatum delivered by Wayun. He's like, take the mines away or we're going to take the station ourselves. And Cisco's like, what did you expect us to do? Like, we're noticing this buildup in Cardassian space. And Wayun's like, look, man, uh, the Cardis are just jittery. <laughs> you know, they just need protection. They've been through a lot lately. I'm sure you've noticed that. Yeah. And they just want us to protect their borders for them. I really love this uh, Cisco Eyes to commercial because, you know, watching it on Netflix as I did, it, the camera fades out and then fades right back up. And Cisco is standing in exactly the same place. It almost feels like they forgot that there was going to be a commercial break here. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, like when we come back, the conflict is not quite as we thought it was. Wayun is like, listen, man, like I'm trying to, I'm trying to please Dukat. I'm trying to like do what the Cardassians want and uh, really shifts the blame onto what the Cardassians desire and says like this intolerable escalation of mining the, the wormhole is going to lead us to the brink of war and... Maybe we can find a compromise. What if it's just like uh, economic and medical aid that we bring through the wormhole? Would you be Would you be cool with that? Cisco's like, of course, it's a deal. Hearty handshake and high five. Smash cut to the attack is coming probably tomorrow. Right. <laughs> I want to interrogate this moment a little bit with you, Ben, because it made me think a lot about the asymmetry between the Dominion and DS9. Like... Wayun has always had all the cards and all the power, and it's just up to Cisco to strategically kick the can down the road. Like, Cisco's only goal is to survive. And yeah. that means that Wayun has a number of different directions that he could go. But if we know that Wayun could kill Cisco, even in this room, and take the station instantly, is that a kind of like anti conflict that lowers the stakes of this scene? Because the outcome is always determined by the more powerful of the two sides? You know, we talked last episode or maybe the episode before about the when the super tick is docked there, they could just they could just self-destruct right then and there yeah. and take out the station. Yeah. And I realized they can't because of Odo. Odo's presence always prevents them from completely destroying the station. That's it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I guess that And they never they never say that out loud, but I, I it, I realize, like, they're using that as part of the logic of this scene. Yeah. You know, that's a great defense of of my attempt to poke a hole in this thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I never noticed it until this moment. I mean, but and, also they uh, could murder Cisco in this room, take the station, and not harm Odo yeah. in the process. Yeah, those two yellow shirts standing by the door are no match for the one Jem'Hadar that has a rifle yeah. that Wayu brought with him. Again... 
not asking the Jem'Hadar to surrender their weapons when they come aboard the station. Yeah, yeah, because what's the difference? So the second super shitty McLaughlin group Issue two. of the episode, this time including um, General Martok and, uh, and Dax is Skyping in from the little D. She is in command of it as they lay the minefield. And Cisco is explaining that this, this attack is coming, and uh, that means minefields got to get finished. ASAP. Uh, it's a real, like, Cisco as Kirk to Dax as Scotty on this minefield issue. I thought exactly the same thing. And Cisco, again, even though no one asks, uh, tells everyone within earshot that no backup is expected from Starfleet. And that's what makes Martok the backup here. He's deployed mm-hmm. to the border uh, to give the yeah. little D some cover. Worf is uh, is told to get all the weapons ready. Dr. Bashir is told to get the infirmary ready. They'll clear out. And then it's just Cisco and Kira. And he says, listen, I've kind of flip-flopped on this whole Dominion non-aggression pact with the Bajorans idea. And I think you should actually do it. I think I should go rec- recommend it directly to the Council of Ministers in my capacity, both as... Starfleet attache and as emissary of the prophets. You want Bajor to sign a treaty with the Dominion? Why? This is pretty consistent with Cisco's strategy the entire time, and that strategy is just to survive. If you can survive, then you have choices down the road. But if you're taken over by the Dominion at this point, you lose the luxury of having choices anymore. And I guess we're right. all very lucky that Cisco didn't allow the treaty to be signed a couple of months ago between the the Bajorans and the Federation involving their membership because uh, because they'd be dead meat right now if they had. Yeah, Bajor would be backed into a corner. And so we get this uh, exterior of the station where all these Bajoran ships are like pulling into every available docking position because all Bajoran personnel are being evacuated from the station. And uh, when I think Bajoran personnel, I think Zial. Yeah, what's going to happen to her, said a couple of people. (laughs) Uh, Garrick sees her off. She's a little nervous about going to live amongst the Bajorans because of the obvious evidence of her Cardassian heritage that she wears in her loaf. And they kiss goodbye, which feels significant, even though, like, the music cue here totally ignores it. Yeah, I I thought it would have been fun if, like, they'd kissed goodbye and she walked off and Garrick had been like, (laughs) (laughs) What, as in, in, like, he's secretly uh, repulsed by her? Yeah. Wow. That's mean. Because he sweats, uh, he sweats Bashir. Oh right. I, okay, I get what you're saying now. I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> Speaking of things Garrick was working on, though, uh, we get to see the wedding, and Lita's wedding dress winds up being just a dress. It's a. It's not. It, it is not a particular uh, special dress, as far as I can tell, and quite chaste, like by comparison to anything else she's worn on the show. I guess I should say. Sure. Yeah. I mean the cut is consistent with that idea, and also the color. Uh, I think we could have assumed that Lita would not be wearing white on this occasion. Yeah. 
All the pictures of my parents' wedding, my mom's in a purple dress and my dad is in like a brown corduroy suit. That's awesome. I really did not get super dressed up for that. Have you ever been to a wedding where the attendees openly questioned the choice and made predictions about how long it would last? Because I have. <laughs> I give it two months. Yeah, the uh, that's definitely the role Cork is playing in this scene. I went to... Are, are you saying you've been the Cork at a wedding? No, I went to a wedding where I was very good friends with, uh, with the bride, and the bride's best friend's mom was like, I don't know what she's thinking, and I don't see this lasting. <laughs> and of all people, to oh, come wow. from her... I, the postscript to the story is that it didn't, and she was right. <laughs> but uh, wow. but you like that's not the time. You keep that to yourself. Well, when you've lived your life as best friends, mom, you've seen a lot of life. You know, you really have. That's a that's a privileged position where you, you get to be a fly on the wall for a lot of drama. You know, we're all going to be best friends, mom, someday. That's true. Got to act classy when our time comes. We've got to steel ourselves to the to the inevitable reality of being best friends, mom. Yeah. This is, there's a haste to this ceremony, and it's because it's, it's mid-evacuation. Yeah. And Rom sort of grabs Lita by the arm and is like, okay, off to the escape shuttle. Yeah, it's actually, like, Nog is, like, tugging on Lita's upper arm. Like, he's like, uh, I guess you're my Moogie now. Anyways, gotta go. She doesn't want to go, obviously, but Rom quotes Casablanca in telling her that it's his duty to stay. It will have to be his duty later to please that booty. For right now, he's got to help defend the station. Because, Adam. Become the Dominion War has. That's great. You drink a glass of milk before that impression to really, really <laughs> nail it. It was positively uh, Frank Ozian. Yeah, I, give, I, uh, I, I put on some, some loaf to give myself long, pointy ears. Lita leaves. Yeah, she gone. And uh, and they get a FaceTime from Gul Dukat that's like, hey, uh, last, uh, last chance, guys. Like, we're coming with a lot of ticks here, so... Uh, there's no reason that you should all be killed. Uh, any uh, any interest in just uh, standing down peacefully? Cisco tells him to go fuck himself and then does, like, battle stations command to commercial. I love Martok being out there on his own for this mission. He's basically in, like, a World War II tank with a cloaking device. <laughs> Up against, like, <laughs> the fiercest of modern technology bearing down on him. Yeah, same warbird that Kirk and Spock yeah. uh, saved the whales with, and it's ticks that he's going to be fighting. I loved the uh, the change in lighting when we come back from commercial. The op section goes from being, like, pretty flat lighting to very contrasty, and the shadows are very dark. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it goes from looking like a living room in a television sitcom to like the bridge of the red October. It's a useful commercial break, isn't it? It super is. And I, I wondered like, did they just take all the diffusion off the lighting? Like it looks so different. Yeah. It looks different than it ever has. Yeah. Hard shadows really make a difference. This timeline gets compressed here because the time that Dax thought she had to finish her job is an hour when in fact it's 20 minutes 
everything's starting to fall apart here because with the armada bearing down on them, no one's sure whether or not this mine mission is going to be completed in time. Yeah, Chief O'Brien uh, now playing Scotty to Dax's Kirk. Yeah, uh, acknowledges the the time constraints, and then we cut to the infirmary where uh, Bashir has enlisted the assistance of Jake. So Jake has uh, already kind of uh, abandoned his journalistic separation and is going to be participating directly in the medic operation on Deep Space Nine, which I guess uh, is a decision he's made in the past and the Starfleet News Service didn't mind before. So so more of the same? Yeah, I guess. I mean, Jake really developed a stomach for field medicine after his last experience doing so. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a nice character callback for him. Yeah, he's just passing out med kits, and uh, and yeah, now they wait. Now they wait till the bodies start flowing in. Yeah, we're cutting around to see how different characters are are preparing in these final moments before the armada arrives. Odo is laying back in the cut on the on the rail of the promenade, just waiting for it. Uh, Odo isn't preparing shit. I love the like the groups of Starfleets walking around with their rifles, like expecting Jem'Hadars to just start beaming in at any point. Uh, and Odo is like like leaning on the rail, like yeah, I don't really give a shit. This is great though because nothing's gonna happen to him. He's gonna be greeted as a god. Yeah, he sure is. Things are actually gonna be great for him <laughs> once this occupation starts. We get Rom. Uh, he is working on uh, on getting the defense systems ready, and Quark is like, "Hey, man, why don't you not and uh, and just leave? Like, you totally can." And their relationship has really changed. Like the idea that Rom is uh, subject to things Quark wants is totally gone from their relationship. Yeah. Like, I think earlier Quark looking after his bar would have meant Quark deputizing Rom to look after his bar. Yeah. And now they're like, they still have the same kind of like bickering, but because they don't actually have a business relationship anymore, the bickering takes the form of just like their expression of love for each other. Exactly. Yeah, because at the end of this scene, we understand that that they both feel similarly for each other. It's just Ram is the only one that shows that outwardly. You're my brother. Whatever happens, we belong together. Rom, you know, using his his little gadgets on the on the circuit boards in the wall is his love language, and Quark gives him a big kiss on the back of the dome. Mm. What's your love language, Adam? I don't really have one. I think that's a problem for me. <laughs> I'm inarticulate in my love language. <laughs> well, don't worry. There's a quiz in Cosmo for you two. This battle kicks off in a big way. I think one of the scenes you and I both really love is like when the station spools up weapons. Yeah. We go around the ring and we see all of the little hard points pop out. It's great. Yeah. And like, I know that it's the same clips that they're showing again for like the fourth or fifth time in the run of the series, but I, I love it every time. It always seems like shit's about to pop off when they show that. The Armada is massive, and it seems laughable that the station could put up any kind of defense at this point, really. Like, the the sense of scale is really pronounced in this moment. And aboard Dukat's ship, 
uh, he approaches this whole situation with that kind of confidence. He's psyched to return to his old home. I've been waiting for this moment for five years. <laughs> I loved the arms that the that Ducat and Wayun are wearing with their little, uh, I guess... I guess it's their augmented reality system for running a Jem'Hadar ship. <laughs> yeah, it's neat that they're clearly well, sharing tech. Yeah, Wayun really looks like he knows what he's doing wearing it, and I, I think it's like a a performance choice. But Ducat looks like he's wearing his just to like demonstrate status to other people. Like he's never looking in it or using it. It's like how some people just don't look good wearing hats. Yeah, like Ducat doesn't have a hat face. Yeah, he doesn't have an augmented reality face, and uh, and like Demar definitely didn't get one. Right. And this is uh, this is a just a way for Ducat to like feel some status on everyone else. Everyone hates Demar, though. That much is very clear. Yeah, Demar's a piece of shit. Becoming clear by the moment, too. <laughs> yeah, who wants to have Kinar with that guy? Against all expectations, the shields on DS9 are holding up to the bombardment by hundreds of ships. It doesn't seem yeah, possible. They are taking out ticks. Like, they're firing lots of torpedoes, and, like, there's some pretty amazing sh- shit. Like, we see a Cardassian warship blow up against the shields of the inner ring. Right. Like, there seems to be, like, a secondary shield on the inner ring that this thing hits, and it completely destroys it, and the shields are holding after that. Like, it's not like, it's not just torpedoes and phasers that are hitting the station, it's entire starships. Especially because we've been trained to expect that kind of impact to be super destructive. Like, we saw that a couple seasons ago, where we saw a galaxy class blown up by by a ship ramming it. Right. And this is a moment where Wayun starts to, like, lose his nerve a little bit, and... And Ducat is like, yeah, like I think uh, underestimating the Federation is always something you do at your peril, which feels so different because every time we've engaged the Dominion before now, it's been just overwhelmingly odds are Dominion. Did this feel a little Shields ex machina to you, though? Like there's no explanation for their ability to defend as well as they are. It's just happening. Yeah, I mean, because there's like a brief moment where they, you know, Cisco like asks the computer about whether Cisco program 145 Mm -hmm. is ready to go or not. Mm -hmm. And I thought maybe that was what this was, but it's not. Yeah. Like that, that, that pays off later in the episode. So I guess just the assumption is that in the background, the Federation is always making improvements to its shit. And that makes sense. Martok is a little late to the party defending the little D. They take some direct hits from the Jem'Hadar before Martok shows up, meaning those were like unshielded phaser fire hits on the little D, and that's bad. Kind of a lot happens here all at once, because the little D dropped its last mine, Martok ably defends the little D, and then Cisco evacuates the station. Yeah. It's an interesting moment because Ducat, Wayun, and Damar are are doing the math on the back of their napkin and are like, uh, we should have broken through by now. And they're starting to get frustrated about how things are going. And then as soon as Cisco's mission is successful, the station is basically given to them through their withdrawal. This is a big twist ending. He gives like a speech to 
the uh, the people that he's leaving behind, which are the non-Bajoran, non-Federation people on the station. So like Morn, Quirk, and a handful of other people, basically. Right. The hardest drinkers on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, just just the local alcoholics, yeah. and gives gives them his uh, his MacArthur speech, like "I shall return." Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! You're cool. Fuck you! I'm out. And then he gets beamed out. It's the little D where they've gathered all the people who are leaving, and uh, that group includes Garrick. So uh, every last person off Deep Space Nine that they need at this point is is on the little D. There's there's definitely no one else that should be there that isn't. Uh, and they flee with Martok, sort of going in the opposite direction as the oncoming armada. It's a pretty fun shot of, uh, of the two ships cloaking and, and working their way through. Yeah, and at some point in there, uh, Worf and Dax agree to get married. Yeah. Dax, Dax says yes to a question that Worf didn't ask. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of shit is happening. <laughs> If Michael Dorn plays that a different way, that is a terrifying moment for Worf. <laughs> but as it is, he seems pretty psyched about it. Yeah. Speaking of Worf, uh, Kira runs Cisco's program, which uh, which deploys just a shit ton of Worf lightning and bricks the station, basically. Yeah, that was the bit of programming that Cisco was doing. Looks like it worked. Everything's a smoking pile. Yeah. In Quarks, they are they are destocking the root beer and restocking the canar. Rom reports for duty. He's uh, he's taken off his his Bajoran uh, costume and put back on a Ferengi costume. Actually, I'm a spy. Is Rom actually a spy, or does Rom just say that to get Quark off his back? Because I think <laughs> Rom would make a terrible spy, and this is a bad strategy if it's the truth. I feel like like Starfleet Intelligence signs Rom up as a spy going like, well, worst case scenario, he gets captured and tortured, but we don't care. He's just going to Mr. Bean this up, I think. <laughs> he uh, is, uh, is, is heading to the waste reclamation with the root beer and discovers that Jake Sisko has, uh, has chosen to stay aboard the station. Aren't you supposed to be on the Defiant? I changed my mind. Ben Sisko really fucked up, Ben. Or is this Bashir's fault? Like, whose job was it to babysit Jake? I don't know. I mean, the point is that Jake has a job, and he has stayed behind because of his job. There, so, there's so many questions about this. Like, does he have agency? Is he adult enough to have made this decision on his own? Or did someone screw up? I, I keep going back and forth on this. I think Ben Sisko definitely fucked up. I don't know how you don't do one last uh, computer locate Jake Sisko request on your way out the door. For a guy that went through Wolf 359 <laughs> and lost his wife and like experienced all of the desperation of being in a space war uh, and and having his son be the only... like close family he has left like you would think that he would double check the core principle of this show like the foundational idea of deep space nine is what when we're talking about ben cisco ben cisco is a great father that's it yeah that's every single episode basically has been about what a great father he is this this episode is asking you to somehow believe 
that everything we know about Ben Sisko is is forgotten because Ben Sisko got too busy and distracted by this war? I don't know, man. I have a great father, and my dad has not. He doesn't have an unbroken record. He's made mistakes in the past, you know. Like overall, great father, but he had a couple of a couple of slip ups or whatever. I think it's realistic. Yeah, but I think I think Cisco had a lot on his mind, and it's and it's and it's refreshing that Deep Space Nine is finally showing Cisco making parenting mistakes. Uh, I know your dad isn't perfect. I know no parent is, <laughs> but this is tantamount to leaving a, a baby on Omaha Beach during the invasion. <laughs> it, it's not just a simple oopsie here. It's crazy. That's a, just a beautiful mental image. Just a baby and a wicker basket on Omaha Beach. It's asking a lot of us, Ben. That's what I'm going to say about it. Dukat, Wayun, and a zillion Jem'Hadar sh- soldiers board the station. Kira and Odo greet them and say, Welcome to Deep Space Nine. They couldn't be more excited to board the station. I mean, they're the, they're the conquering heroes. This is Dukat's return to his to his one time home. Uh, but it's not all hugs and high fives. They lost a lot of ships for this, and a shipyard too. Yeah, the reason that they couldn't get any reinforcements was because a Federation task force was taking out the Dominion shipyards in the Card- in Cardassian space. So, you know, it does not feel like a, a total victory for the Dominion here. And uh, and when they get into the office and in, uh, in ops, they find Cisco has left his baseball behind as a message to Ducat that he intends to return to that office. The very last shot is the little D and Martak ship meeting up with the Federation Armada. Evident, I mean, was this yeah. the Armada that destroyed that shipyard? Maybe it is. I don't know. But it is. That is a big, big fleet. It's loaded. It's loaded with galaxy classes, a couple of uh, hood classes that don't want to be there. And, uh, <laughs> and a little D is in the group too. Another little which D? Which suggests that, uh, that the little D class, uh, the production line rolls on. Yeah, wow. Pretty fun. Yeah, I guess they wouldn't stop making those, right? Yeah. It's not like they're it's not like they're looking at less wars going forward. Yeah. Big end to a big season, Adam. You really want to do this here. Now okay, okay, let's do it. Do it. Did you like the episode? I mean big is the word, right? It's got it's a huge story, it's a ton of moving parts, it's gathering a lot of threads together from the last couple of seasons into this moment. I mean, the the score is a lot of fun. It's a Wayun episode. It has all the ingredients of episodes that I really like. I mean, it missed in a couple of areas, and I think that Jake being left behind is is one of them. I don't know you how you write yourself out of that kind of jail. If what you're trying to do is create a reason for Jake to remain, I just can't get all the way with the reasons as stated right now. It just seems like it's too far-fetched for it to have happened this way. I I might have preferred he to be taken prisoner somehow and and be a reporter from behind enemy lines like that. I don't know. I can't get with that part, but I still like the episode a lot uh, in spite of it. What about you, Ben? I feel basically the same way. I don't mind the Jake thing as much, and I loved Sirach Lofton's performance as like being almost depressed hanging out in Quark's bar 
as they're as they're retooling for a a new kind of clientele he definitely made this choice and knows he probably made a huge mistake in that moment and i i liked that a lot and uh, overall i just really like the episode this is like this is so much beefier of an episode like i just in terms of like what my notebook looks like after watching this episode like I typically fill up half a page with notes for an episode, and I barely had enough page space to write notes for this one. So much shit happened. You get the idea that Nog and Jake aren't really friends anymore either, because that's another check on Jake that doesn't happen. It's too bad. Nog's got a lot on his plate in this episode. Sure does. You know what we might have on our plate, Adam, is a couple of Priority One messages. Do you want to check? Got to check. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first priority one message is of a commercial nature. And it goes like this. Gabe and Jeff have been playing Dungeons and Dragons long enough to make every mistake in the book and learned from most of them. Three years ago, they started a podcast called Interparty Conflict, where they help players new and old avoid the pitfalls that can ruin a game. Hmm. If you're just getting into D&D or want to brush up on the basics, start with episode 151. They focus on the fundamentals of the game to get you up to speed. Wow. 151. That's my that's my favorite proof, Adam. <laughs> yeah, light that shot on fire. So listen to Interparty Conflict on your favorite podcast app. That sounds great. Were you a D&Der when you were a kid? I have never in my entire life played D&D and the only experience of D&D I have is uh, uh, having seen the McElroys play it at a at a Max FunCon one time. And I walked up to our buddy Stuart Wellington, who like guessed it on that episode, and I was like, that was cool. I've never seen that before. And he was like, yeah, dude. <laughs> that was a great Stuart Wellington impression, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I didn't even have nerdy friends growing up. I had no friends. Yeah, you're going to need friends to play D&D, that's for sure. I had very few friends as a child, so nobody invited me to their D&D game, and, uh, and I, I've never played it before. But uh, this uh, this sounds like a great podcast. Maybe this is maybe this is my entree, Adam. I've been thinking a lot about starting up a Star Trek Adventures game, Ben, and I'd invite you to play with me. Oh shit, dog! Should do that. Be fun. Well, I I'll let you be my dungeon master any day of the week, Adam. But uh, not that kind of dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> ben, our second priority one message is of a personal nature. It's from Laurel, and it's to Mike. The message goes like this: Hi, babe. Happy 13th <laughs> slash 35th anniversary Birthentine's Day. I'm very glad you were born, and I'm still happy that you're living in my house. And then parenthetically, and that you haven't burnt it down by accident yet. <laughs> May your chicken wings stay supple, your smiles continue to crinkle, your mind remain inquisitive, and your soul stay gentle and full of love. With love, Laurel. Wow. What a what a beautiful message. Yeah, no kidding. So a uh, lot of hyphens and, and slashes. We're, we're covering all the bases here. It's a birthday and an anniversary and Valentine's Day 
All in one. I fucking envy that so much, man. Laurel getting value like, for her P1 dollar. Good job. For a long time, we had a situation where uh, my wife and I, our dating anniversary is January, and then we had Valentine's Day and her birthday in February a couple of weeks Sounds apart. Sounds like a nightmare. And collapsing all of those things into one thing would be amazing. Yeah, no kidding. And especially making Valentine's Day one of the collapsibles. Get yeah. that shit out of here. This year for Valentine's Day, get this. My wife just like was like, hey, a couple of, a couple of friends of mine are going to be coming over for Valentine's Day. And I was like, if I had announced that a couple of friends of mine were coming over for Valentine's Day. Oh my God. Yeah. You would burn the house down with me locked inside it. And she was like, no, I wouldn't. It's totally fine. It's cool. And I was like, I'm happy that your friends are coming over. I like your friends. Like, I'm looking forward to this yeah. hang in but a big way. Is, there but... is no symmetry in that idea. <laughs> that is fucking crazy. And she fully rejected that that would be an issue if I had pulled the same move. Of course she did. It was her idea. <laughs> wow. Uh, anyway, congratulations on every occasion to Laurel and Mike, and uh, if you're out there and are interested in some holiday and occasion collapse, you can take it out over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages for $100, and commercial messages about your podcast or D&D game or whatever else are $200, both of which are a great way to continue the production of our show. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! There is a take early on in the episode when Lita proposes talking to Cisco about, yeah. about the ceremony they want him to perform. Rom's take of now. Let's talk to him. Now? Now, Rom. I think you even remember it. Like, my, yeah. my even saying it was hilarious to me. Now? <laughs> and so while, while it really should be Jake, it's obviously Jake, I'm going to give it to, uh, to Rom for the way he exclaims that in that moment. It was awesome. Very that funny. That is awesome. Good job, Rom. Wow. Well, Rom is our daily double, Adam. Wow. Not for the same moment. Uh, but uh, there's uh, when they're having the uh, the meeting about what they're going to do with these mines, uh, they all uh, part ways, Dax, O'Brien, and Rom, uh, and they go in different directions. And Rom is the last one to explain what he has to go do. And he says, I've got to go to waste extraction. And uh, my mind immediately went to, that is a future sci-fi code for, I've got to go take a great big dump. It's sort of like 10100 is. <laughs> or a, a bathroom break on production. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to go to waste extraction. He's got to go get turds beamed out of his butt. Oh. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. I so, uh, never thought in a million years that uh, we'd double up on Rom here for the Shimoda. I would have placed money that we would. So. <laughs> All right. Here at our 300th episode, we're just not thinking in a parallel way, even, even now, Adam. Got to get that. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? 
Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, I'm already thinking of what our next episode is going to be, Ben. Uh, what will it be and how will we watch it? Next episode is season six, episode one, A Time to Stand. Cisco and his crew embark on a secret mission in a captured Jem'Hadar warship. And uh, for the how of how we are going to do it, uh, I'm going to head over to our, uh, our beloved game, the game of buttholes, The Will of the Prophets, 
Looks like we're currently on square 43, where uh, three squares ahead is a Coco No-No. That is true. So, you know, there's some real risk ahead. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea what we'll do if we hit this fuck it, we'll do it live. To yeah. be honest, that is a, a real source of fear for me. But uh, I'm going to get ready and roll. What do you say? You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Oh, Adam. You're going to be very displeased to hear this, but uh, but we have hit the Coco No-No episode. So the next episode we record, which a little peek behind the kimono will be in about 20 minutes, uh, we, we will be drinking tiki drinks together, mon frere. I'm going to need your help with this because uh, I've been in a buy no groceries mode uh, ahead of the move that we're making to Los Angeles. Yeah, and yeah. So, like, uh, I'm going to need to get creative on my ingredients. I know I've got pineapple juice. I'm fairly okay. sure I have rum. Even if it's just a rum on pineapple juice, that might be what I'm stuck with. So I you, you know limes? what I've got, and, uh, and maybe you can help. I don't have okay. limes. Wow. Okay. Well, well, we'll collaborate over text. All right. Sounds good. All right. Uh, well, that will be next week. Uh, we will be drinking bad drinks uh, coming right up. And uh, in the meantime, uh, check out The Greatest Discovery. We are currently reviewing Star Trek Picard, the exciting new series from CBS All Access. Yeah, if you like what we're doing here, I don't understand why you wouldn't also be listening to that show at the same time. It's, it's Picard. It's, yeah. It's brand new Star Trek, and it's us. Why don't you join us? And if you've signed up for CBS All Access to check out Picard and are also checking out Discovery for the first time, we have the first two seasons reviewed uh, back in uh, the feed for that as well. So uh, a lot of fun to be had over on The Greatest Discovery. Uh, and if, uh, if you like any of what we do, please head to MaximumFun.org slash donate and contribute to the production of the show with a monthly donation. We really appreciate it. With great audience comes great responsibility. Uh, we got to thank a couple of people at the end of every episode. Of course, our buddy Adam Ragusea made this show possible by making this great Cisco music that is the, uh, the answer to the Picard song that we use as our theme music for uh, our TNG episodes. Uh, he, of course, is now a YouTube sensation with his cooking channel. You just search Adam Ragusea on YouTube and you'll like learn how to make a great steak, a great pizza at home, you know, put a chicken thigh up on a plate and it'll be good. Have you ever wanted to know how to put a chicken thigh up on a plate? Adam Ragusea will tell you how. I'll it'll t- it'll teach you how to use uh, sodium citrate in your macaroni and cheese to make it more smooth and velvety. Yeah, I'm using sodium citrate in everything to make things smooth and velvety. We also got to thank Bill Tilly, who makes hilarious trading cards for every episode of The Greatest Generation and every episode of The Greatest Discovery. Uh, he's putting those up on Twitter using the hashtag GreatestGen. He's also got like a Tumblr now. Uh, he's at Bill Tilly 1973. He's one of the best in the biz. You can also follow us on Twitter. Adam's Adam's at Cut for Time. I'm at Benjamin AHR. There is a great Facebook group of Friends of DeSoto, a great Reddit sub for Greatest Gen. There's a Wikia where they keep track of all of the drunk Shimodas in every episode and all of the running jokes. There's merch at our Tapatico page. 
Yeah, maxfunstore.com. And with that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which somehow makes a cocktail out of only two ingredients. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.